Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. And now a word from our new sponsor, Birdland Sports. Baseball season is finally here. And what better way to celebrate than with some fresh gear from Birdland Sports? As a small business run by Orioles fans, Birdland Sports offers a great selection of unofficial merchandise, including unique designs like Birds Are Coming Tees, Player Cartoon Shirts, and World Series Prediction Designs. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. Get high-quality gear without breaking the bank. So whether you're heading to the ballpark or watching from home, Show your love for the Orioles with Birdland Sports. Visit birdlandsports.com today to browse their collection and gear up for the season. Let's go O's. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the BSL on the Verge Major League Mailbag. This is a new podcast we are introducing this season to coincide with the prospects no longer being on the Verge. They are in the majors, so we will obviously continue to follow the Orioles minor league system all year round, but during the major league season, we will also be covering them because a lot of the best players on the team are guys we covered when they were minor leaguers and it, it just makes sense. And to honor our first episode, we have a great guest. He is a patron and Twitter legend at Orioles status one, Ben Dorst. Thanks for doing this. Yep. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yep. Uh, looking forward to talking about the major league club and answering some questions and, uh, what we can what we can go through yeah and uh, i'm looking forward to just seeing how this podcast develops our thought is we will rotate one of the main hosts me zach and nick uh from week to week at least in the beginning until we figure out more of what it could be but and then you know sometimes we'll be solo sometimes maybe we'll try to grab a guest maybe a patron like ben maybe vivek will show up here at some point and uh all the more reason for you to sign up for the patreon and that's a real perk if you're you know, that sort of thing. So uh, sign up. I'll put the link below. But 
yeah, let's get into the Major League Mailbag. I'll go through, always do the patron questions first, and then we'll get to Twitter and other social medias at the end. But our first question sure. comes from Dan. What would a realistic return for Ramon Urias look like? And I'm I'm thinking that question popped up because of the late scratch yesterday in the lineup. A lot of speculation for about an hour or two there. Um, I know you were excited that it could be a potential trade. I was admittedly too. Um, what do you think? What do you think a return for Urias would would look like? Yeah, it's it's tough to say really because we also rate other players other teams players so much differently than they are internally. I know, you know, initially looking at like the Jorge Lopez return is like, well, these closers are netting top hundred prospects. Who are these dudes? But turns out one of them is a top hundred prospect. Um, so I, the way I look at it is I, I'm trying to kind of align it with what we got for her you know? So we got a controllable mid to back end rotation pitcher for her Um, with Urias, you have still three years of control. He's a three to four war player, probably. Um, so, I would think you would get probably in the if you went prospect route, you know, top ten prospects in someone's organization, maybe, and then another piece. But I don't know if the Orioles want to go the prospect route anymore. So I think it could be something more of a. Or if it's a prospect, maybe like a triple-A ready kind of arm. But it's it's such a tough one to predict. But I would think a starter like Urban maybe and then a reliever who you could plug right into the majors. But really is anyone's guess at, when it comes to something like that. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, like you said, we cover this team, our prospects. I know them like the back of my hand. When it comes to other teams, you know, I know the big names and a little bit here and there from stuff I consume, but I don't, you know, yeah, I do my research after after the trades more so than trying to predict what happens. But and Arias, fresh off a gold glove finalist at third base, can play second base, maybe shortstop in a pinch. He's not the best there, but he can he can stand there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like for the Orioles, Orioles, it would be mostly about clearing room for a Jordan Westberg, a Joey Ortiz one of these okay. infielders to come up and start to get more playing time as you know, these top prospects are all bunched up in AAA Now the levy's going to break eventually. It's just a matter of time. Um, yeah. I think what you said makes a lot of sense. I also wonder if it wouldn't be another trade kind of like the Cole Saucer Tanner Scott trade, where you get a couple international guys that they've been scouting. They love to do that with these trades, maybe a, a compensation draft pick, something like that because we're picking lower could help a little bit. Uh, and then maybe a major league reliever, something like something like that. That would be my guess. I doubt you're getting all three or four of those players in a return for Urias, but yeah. he's a solid player. I also feel like, though, Jordan Westberg is a very similar player with maybe a little bit more upside. And, I mean, that can go either way. Maybe that's why they would trade Westberg over him because he would have more value. But at the same time, I feel like Westberg could easily replace – well, maybe not easily, but – if everything goes well, he could replace Urias's production there. Yeah, and, and Urias is heading into his first year of arbitration next year, and so you have, he's controllable for three years, but he's going to only be getting more expensive. Um, it's just, it's tough to how you value him, because you know, a three and a four-war player is not anything to scoff at, 
but I feel like we kind of feel like he's at or around his ceiling as well. He's not a three or four war player that you're dreaming on doubling his production either. So when, when I was thinking of a trade, it's like people kept asking like, well, what do you think the return is? But I'm more just excited. Like you said, I mean, we have four people competing for two spots right now with Westberg still not up with Ortiz and Norby behind him. I was just excited to clear the field a little bit, but whatever we get back is a nice bonus, but that's probably discounting your eyes a little too much. Yeah, and even get Vavra in there. He's been playing third base a little bit. He looked good yeah. when I saw him in person early, uh, late February. So, yeah, just get more of these young guys in the mix. So we'll go down now to Kevin Brown. Not that, not that Kevin Brown, but <laughs> the patron Kevin Brown. Favorite on-screen thing at Camden Yards? He gives some options. Crab shuffle, hot dog race, the Orioles drawing, or something else. What do you think? I would go with the hot dog race, I would say. Nothing nothing fires up the crowd like someone in the booth predetermining who's going to win a hot dog race, but I'll ride or die for ketchup, you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever asked. So, so it's definitely that pool. <laughs> yeah. As a kid, I always loved the crab shuffle, trying to follow along that little three. Was it like a, I don't even know what that game is called, but it's everywhere. <laughs> it's like a three card Monty that, that can't be right. Um, but yeah, that when relish was like, over the first 50 games that one season, that was a lot of fun. And it depends on, the question and the personalities of the guys on the team. But I kind of like when they do a Q&A with the, the, the players yeah. that try to get fans or at the stadium like more invested in these guys personally with their personality. So I don't know. I just like going to the games. I like it all. I'm copping out on this answer. I know I said <laughs> I would answer anything, but I didn't expect this hard-hitting stuff. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the real deep stuff. <laughs> right, right. Kenneth DiPietro wants to know, what is your first month record predictions for the Orioles, it's they have, they kind of start off a little light. There's a lot of, you know, games against teams that are expected to have losing records. I'll just go by series to series, and then I'll, I'll kick it over to you. There's a three-game road series against Boston to kick things off. Then they go to Texas to face the Rangers. Then they're home against the Yankees and Athletics. On the road again for White Sox, Nationals, back home, Tigers, and Red Sox. And then a four-game series in Detroit to end the month so how do you see things going yeah so i mean when i look at that i i see the yankees as a team i would consider better than the orioles and make it like a toss-up depends how the rangers play depends how the white Sox play but it's not a tough schedule and you know recognizing that the orioles maybe aren't as tough as we anticipate they will be in our heads but i'm still thinking 16 and 12 and that's me being conservative so i i think i mean they need to steamroll through it somewhat and i think they will be successful though yeah i mean i thought i was being conservative and i went 17 and 11 so obviously we're optimistic of this team's chances but i feel like you know last year it was almost like they started off so poorly and it was such a surprise because once adley came up they started winning and really just picked up steam as the year went along. I feel like a hot start would definitely help to keep that momentum going from the end of last season. And even if the schedule gets tougher as the year goes on, you want to have that stuff in your pocket and, and get, I feel like this is a team that could get better as the year goes along as well. So I think I yeah. won't be as intimidated against the tougher competition. Once guys like Colton Kowser and 
I was going to say Kerstad, but he'll probably be like towards the very end of the season, like a Norby Ortiz. I feel like we're going to get better as the year goes along. So a good hot start would definitely be beneficial. And we both think that's going to happen. So next up, we have Ben E, not Benny. It's Ben, letter E. Uh, He wants us to give some predictions and I'll just, we'll do these one at a time. He has a list of like six or seven things here. Who has the most home runs on the team this year? And how many, I'll say. I'm going to go with Mount Castle. I think the guy, all he did last year was hit the ball harder than he ever has, strike out less than he ever has, make more contact than he ever has, and his numbers dropped. And I think I think the bad luck ends. I think he's figured out how to avoid hitting it into the cavern of the wall a little bit more. So I'm going to go with Mount Castle with the big bounce back season and I'm going to give him 36 home runs in a real bold take. Yeah, that would be awesome. I do think he's going to be a big bounce back candidate. I feel like at this point it feels inevitable because like you said, his metrics were great as far as hitting the ball hard. I mean, he saw incredible improvements and then just had a much worse year. I've even heard it mentioned on like national fantasy podcasts, like this guy is going to bounce back in a big way. And I do think he will. I do think he's going to be penalized a little bit because of the new left field. I think it's a little overstated, uh, but I'll say he he hits 32, and I'll I'll go with Santander back-to-back home run titles with 34 this year. And I think it won't be long before Adley and Gunner are in that conversation, but I think they're going to be in the 20s in their first full seasons in the majors. What do you think? Yeah, no, that that's that would have been my other choice and was thinking the same about Adley and Gunner and also thinking – this time next year, people might be saying Kerstad, and they'll probably be right, and then you'll be adding Mayo in, and the powers just come in more and more. Norby's going to crank out a lot of bombs, so not a bad problem to have. Yeah, Cows are hit one 476 feet. You Insane. Got Dylan Beavers, <laughs> Judd Fabian can hit him runs. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun in the next few years here. All right, next question is, who has the most steals? And I know this question is right up your alley. As a huge Jorge Mateo fan, you love the steals. What do you think? It's going to be another battle between Mullins and Mateo? Yeah, I think those are the obvious two. I don't know who else. I mean, I know Gunner's fast, but it, it it's just not the kind of guy you're running every chance you get like those other two. And, and we also see that sometimes fast doesn't translate to base running. Not that Not that he's by any chance not a good base stealer. He could be a 2020 guy, but you know, McKenna is a burner and he doesn't steal bases, you know? So, uh, I would go with Mullins as a safe bet. Cause I believe he's playing 150 plus games. Um, Mateo last year when he played 150 plus games, eked him out, you know, and that's really impressive when you have a two seventy something on base percentage. Um, and I think these rules will help them both, you know, for Mateo, no shift is going to get him on base more. And every time he's on base, he's a better stealer. Um, I don't think the bag size does it a lot, but I think the pitch clock and the amounts of times a pitcher can step off will really help with timing. Um, I saw someone predict online that take someone stolen bases and double it for what you think they'll get this year. Okay. And I think that's overstated because I do not think Mullins and Mateo are going to be going for their 70th bag in September. But... With a lot of playing time, I could see them in the 40 to 50 range. I just think you may see Mateo as more and more infielders come up with Westberg and eventually Ortiz and then Norby. You might see Mateo getting 95 starts 
instead of 140 plus. And I think Mullins is starting almost every day. So I'll give it to Mullins. I'll say he gets 41 stolen bases. And that's going to be my, my prediction. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I think if you were talking about like a per game, it, or per attempt thing, I think Mateo would have a little bit more over, you know, if they both had 500 bats on the season or something like that. But right. yeah, as Mullins, he's, unless he gets hurt, he's going to be playing pretty much every day out there. Maybe not against some tough lefties, but yeah, I think Mullins will have like 45, 46, and then Mateo will have like 20 some, but that's only yeah. because I think he's going to lose playing time as the year goes on, unless he really hits and then maybe he can hold that spot. That's going to be, going to be interesting to see. So all right, the really we'll tough with... questions who comes in third with stolen bases Ooh. this year. That's the one no one knows how to answer. Yeah, <laughs> that I might say Gunner. Mountcastle yeah, could surprise. He had four of the last two years. <laughs> I don't know about that. but <laughs> Yeah, Gunner is a good answer. Or I don't know enough about Adam Fraser. He's probably not a, a speedster. Let's see. I'm just running down this real quick. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be Gunner. It's got to be Gunner or maybe... Kyle Stowers, he can steal a couple here and there. If they put him on enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If he plays enough, hopefully he does. So let's go now to batting average. Who do you think will have the best batting average? Uh, It's a tough one because no one really had a good batting average last year. You know, I'm I'm scrolling through and I think – so you had – Trey had 268 and he was only here 90 games. And then after that, Mullins led the team with 258. So it's not – like those aren't numbers where I'm confident that's going to lead the team again. So, I'm I'm going to go with Taryn Vavra if you don't need the plate appearance requirement, and with the you know batting title eligibility, I would go with Adley because the guy hit 254 after some major slumps to you know start his career, but he's only getting better and. Um, He's going to have more protection in the lineup this year. So I think I, I would see Adley in the 270 to 280 range. If it was on base percentage, I'd give it to Adley every time. Um, but in terms of average, I'm going to say Vavra hits between 290 and 310. I just don't know if he'll get more than 200 at-bats. Yeah, that's a good point. And I feel like the, the whole league as a whole was kind of down as far as batting average. And obviously that's why they went with the the shift ban and, and all these new rules to try to help fight against that. But offense, I'm, I'm kind of curious what baseball they use this year. <laughs> What's the offense in general? Is it going to be, you know, I'd like to see how it looks this spring versus last spring. But yeah, I think Vavra's a great pick. I do think he, he's probably going to be around a 300 hitter, no matter what level he's at, where, how many games he plays. He's just a guy that can just find those little, those little gaps in the defense. And, and Adam Fraser is, kind of similar. So I was kind of going between those two. I wanted to be bold and say Gunnar Henderson, but I don't think his thing is going to strike out a little bit too much to uh, contend for the Orioles batting title. So I'll say between Adam Frazier and Taron Vavra as well. Yeah, those are good ones. All right. Who's going to have the lowest ERA and let's say minimum 20 innings pitched. (laughs) Okay. Minimum 20 innings pitched. I would go with Bautista in terms of a starter. Mm. Uh, it's, it's so tough. I would say 
Irvin will have the slow or the lowest ERA for our starters. And it's really like a three or four way tie, so it's hard. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's a bunch of like number three and four starters with Grayson obviously having more potential than that. Yeah. I liked the mountain pick for number one. I'll say Cienel Perez shocks everyone, especially you, and has another super low <laughs> ERA out of the bullpen. He's looked pretty good this spring. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much he can keep up that like one something ERA, but uh, I'll go Kyle Bradish for the starter just because mm-hmm. I know he was really rough in his last spring outing, but I think you can just toss that one out. He's He was so good in the second half of last year. sounds like he's still making adjustments and figuring out how to pitch as we go along here. So I think he'll take the next step and uh, and be that guy for the starting pitching staff. Who do you think will have the most strikeouts on the staff? Yeah, so that – I almost said Bradish last time because – He's the, of the five, I mean, well, I'm more excited about Grayson, but of the five this year, I have the highest hopes for Bradish. But I wanted to switch it up because I knew I was going to give him my K, K crown. Um, and the home runs made me wonder if maybe the ERA, in spite of dominant looking, you know, might keep the ERA above someone who has that, uh, just that soft contact approach. But but I think Bradish has an upside of a number two, and I don't think he's that far from that upside based on what we saw from the, the last half of, of last year. So, um, you know, I I would put Bradish in the, like, 170-plus Ks this year category. Like, I think he's going to deal, and I think he's going to sit a lot of guys down. So, so that I would put him comfortably in the lead there. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. Once again, I I agree. He can be a number two starter if he hits his his ceiling and he strikes guys out with his slider curveball combination. You know, he's got the sinker working a little bit more now. Maybe that brings the strikeout rate down a little bit compared to a four-seam fastball, but it'll be more effective. Uh, If it's not Bradish, I would take D.L. Hall, even though he's probably not going to start the year on the team, the major league team, or at least not in the rotation. I feel like he's going to earn that. And I feel like his stuff is so ridiculous and he strikes out so many guys that he might just catch up by the end of the season. That would be nice to see. Um, and who do you think has the most innings pitched? I think we'll probably both have the same one here. I'm thinking Cole Irvin. Oh, see, I would have gone with Gibson, I think. Um, I just, uh, I, he seems like a guy that they're going to ride, you know, even if he's struggling, you know, like Lyles, Lyles could give up five runs in the fourth and they're like, you know, we got you to get these innings and Irvin, I think maybe they'll protect a little more. They have him for four seasons. He's a bit younger. Um, I mean, he's shown that he eats those innings even at this earlier stage of his career, but I think Gibson, they have him for this year and they're going to use it up as, as best they can. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And he's got the opening day start. So he'll have that little slight edge over Irvin, but to me, and I know you'll be happy about this. I don't think Gibson lasts the whole year in the rotation. Between, you know, he's a little bit older, so a little bit more injury prone. I think he already had his hand checked out in tonight's start uh, in spring training. And just, I think, you know, if guys like D.L. Hall can get healthy and effective and, and earn a spot to take someone's, and John Means when he gets healthy, like Gibson feels like the guy to me that you might bump out. Yeah, no, that makes sense because if Means is coming back around the trade deadline, I mean, we don't know, you know, we'll get more confidence the closer it gets, but that is a possibility. And if, if Means comes back and pitches two or three starts healthily and then the trade deadline comes, like make room and push out 
you know, trade Gibson for something else you need. But that's a, if if they're both here all year, I think Gibson's my go. But those are good points. Yeah, that's totally fair as well. Now, who do you think? Last question from Ben. Well, from this list, he's got a couple more questions. Who's the team's <laughs> MVP? And he says it's probably an easy one. It's Adley, right? <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I was uh, gonna switch it up and say Gunner just to be different, but uh, I think it's one of those rookies. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I think Gunner has that that ceiling, no doubt. I think Gunner could end up being the more exciting, better player, but Hadley, one as a college player, I think has a little more polish, and he's gotten in nearly a full season, so I think Gunner might hit those slumps that we saw Adley struggle through the beginning of his career and. Um, I think he'll be a stud and a star by the midway point of the season, but I think you're going to see Adley raking from April 1st and on, and I think Gunner might take a, a mid-May kind of spark, but both of them are going to be stars. So, Completely agree. And uh, now I knew this question was coming earlier, but Ben also wants to know, <laughs> will Mateo, Jorge Mateo, be the full-time shortstop all season? Can his batting be good enough to fend off Westberg and Ortiz. I know you're a Mateo fan, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I... So part of the reason, too, that I really... Like, it feels like a lot of the conversation is, and a lot of the way the club is shaping up is, one of Urias and Mateo is going to be a bench role for us in the future, and one of them is going to be shipped out. And that maybe maybe they'll both be shipped out maybe the one of them will start who knows but that just kind of feels like the natural progression of where the team's going and so the way i see it is you can get a solid bat for your bench any number of ways and fill what your your urius would bring to your team there but you don't get 70 or 80 grade speed to put in an eighth inning of a close game and wreak havoc against other teams so when it comes to who I would want to keep in the organization, I would tilt somewhat heavily towards Mateo. Um, and as valuable as great third base defense is, that great shortstop defense is probably even a step up in terms of how it helps a club and pitchers late in games. So, no, I don't think he'll be our everyday starting shortstop in August and September. Um, I, I would not be surprised if the bat improves last year was his first full season and it's hard not to necessarily improve in terms of at least non-base percentage. Um, and I think he will hit well enough to be valuable, but with so many shortstop options and honestly you can have third base options cause you can shift gunner over to shortstop in a heartbeat. I think that um, he's going to find himself starting most of the first 90 to hundred games and then once or twice a week, maybe after that. Yeah, again, I think we're on the same page here. And although I do think his hitting could get worse, I feel like sure. if it wasn't for that <laughs> super hot six-week stretch he had, I mean, his numbers would have been really bad outside of that. But hopefully he can at least maintain that level and be a little more consistent over a full season. But, yeah, I do think, you know, Arias, like I said, I feel like Westbrook could easily take his place and then you you keep Mateo around because in come the playoffs, that speed off the bench, that defense off the bench potentially is going to be incredibly valuable, especially, you know, pinch runner, 
pinch fielder i don't that's not a thing uh you know a guy comes in and pinch hits for for somebody and then you can move the the defense around the next inning after that and be okay so yeah i don't think he'll hit not even close i would have had joey ortiz starting the year in the majors if it was up to me and he was healthy uh and yeah i would have traded urias and then had mateo off the bench as a really valuable you know guy you get him into like maybe two three games a week just to keep him in the mix but um yeah i do not think his hitting will uh, keep him there so ben's final question does why does mlb not hold high average low power players as high in as high regard as low average high power guys um you'd have to ask someone with deeper analytics than what i have but i'm assuming it's just the fact that it's more production you get more runs the other way around um you know, they wouldn't be training in this uh, launch angle and all that stuff if if it wasn't something that, that made them more valuable. And I think, you know, I think it's great to have a player who hits 320 and four home runs on the year if, if you put him in front of the right people. But um, it, I think the way the game's going, that power really is what, what changes things. And, and they wouldn't be pushing it if they didn't have the data to back it up. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, baseball itself knows that, you know, that needs to change a little bit as far as fans watching the game and enjoying the game. That's why they did the the shift ban and all that stuff. But teams are going to do whatever it takes to win as many games as possible. So that's clearly what their calculations have proven so far. And then, you know, in ideal world, I like a mix of players. So I want your Taron Vavers. I want your, you know, high average just great on base and hit tools. And then I want some boppers in there as well. So a nice mix would be perfect. Hopefully that's, that's what they'll eventually get to with all these different rules. I know not everyone's going to work and not everyone loves everyone, but I at least like that they are tinkering around with things, trying to make it a little more fan friendly. Yeah, for sure. And Justin Daly, he's got some questions for us here. A, uh, <laughs> he's really a trip in the Patreon WhatsApp group. He loves getting on you for your Ryan Mountcastle love. So I'll start off with all caps. Why does everyone love Ryan Mountcastle? All right. I'm going to go through this, Justin, for you. Everyone loved Ryan Mountcastle in 2021 when he hit his 33 home runs. Everyone was chanting for him to be rookie of the year. You know, I didn't see anyone, maybe the occasional person saying like, oh, well, those advanced strikeout metrics aren't great. Like, No, we loved Ryan Mountcastle. Well, between 21 and 22, he lowered his strikeout rate from 27.5% to 25.3%. If he has the exact same improvement from this year as he did last year, he would be a league average strikeout player, which everyone talks about how much he strikes out. He chases a lot. He doesn't walk much at all. It's pretty abysmal. But he truthfully is not like an atrocious strikeout artist at first base, in my opinion. His exit velocity average went from 89.1 to 91.3. So that's pretty impressive. His hard hit average went from 39.7% of his balls were hit hard to 46.7%. Almost half of what he hit was hit hard. Um, League average is about 38.5%, and he had nearly 10% increase from league average. His walk percent went from 7 to 7.1, which isn't great. Um, 
his first base defense improved uh, dramatically, which is very helpful in picking up all these throws and helping infield defense as a whole. And really, when I think about it, the guy is going to be 26 years old this year. You know, everyone's acting like he's had this long extended shot and he's not it, but he's going to hit his 100th home run as a 27-year-old. He's going to have 500 hits and 100 home runs. He's going to be 27 years old with uh, over two years left on contract. And so, is he a Hall of Famer? No. Is he the perfect person to have at first base all the time? No. But he is a guy I could see hitting 300 home runs. He's a guy I could see if he was healthy and continued to make steps forward, he could get 2,000 hits. Um, you know, you have to have a long and somewhat lucky career at times for that, but the guy with staying in Baltimore would be an Orioles Hall of Famer, and he has a lot of offensive talent. He's a super likable dude, personality-wise. Um, so, Justin, my question is, why would you not love Ryan Mountcastle? That's all I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, if this wasn't a podcast, I would give you a standing ovation right now. I thought that was perfectly said. <laughs> I agree with pretty much everything you said. You know, I don't know if he's a career Oriole. I don't know if they're going to want to keep him around as he gets expensive, especially with all the talented guys coming up that you could put at first base down the line. I mean, there's not many first base prospects, but it's not like you couldn't teach someone over an offseason or, or something like that. That's kind of what they did with Mountcastle himself. So, but... I think he is a very underrated player, a very good player. I just think he's one of those guys that he's just got, yeah, he doesn't walk very much. You know, that is a flaw. But I think if you took away his approach, then he probably wouldn't hit the ball as hard and as often. So I think he's just a guy that has that preternatural, preternatural ability to just hit. And that's it's what he does. I feel like he could be a guy that sticks around in the majors in some role for a very long time. I think Ryan Mountcastle is a name you're going to see in a Major League Baseball uniform, no matter what team it is, for years and years to come. Another question from Justin is, do you think Gunner bats one through four in the opening day lineup, or do you think he'll be in the bottom half? I, knowing Brandon Hyde, to not actually knowing him, but like knowing the lineups he puts out there, I'm seeing Gunner at like six in opening day. Where I see Gunner penciling in long term is three. I'd love to see, not if Mullins isn't here past his current contract, I'd love to see like a Cowser type or a Babber type one and just pencil Adley to Gunner three for a decade, hopefully. Um, but I could, I intuitively, I feel like I'm going to do Cedric one. Adley two, and then pop in Santander at three and Mountcastle at four. So, um, just my guess. He, I've been pleasantly surprised before, but um, I'm not going to get my hopes up for it because I don't think it will. Yeah, I've talked about this a little bit. Um, I think Cedric Mullins is a little overrated as a leadoff hitter. I don't think he's overrated. He's got great defense. He's got some pop, can steal, hit for average, doesn't walk very much. That's why I feel like He's not the ideal leadoff guy, but I don't know where else you would put him. Maybe like six through eight in the lineup. But so in my ideal world, Gunner is the leadoff guy. I feel like he's mm -hmm. chases as much or less than Adley already. Uh, gives you good at bats. Um, yeah, eventually you'd want him in, in a three hole just because he hits the ball so hard and he's going to be like a 30-30 potential guy. But he'd be the leadoff guy for me. 
if I was making the opening day lineup, but I think he'll start opening day in the five hole. And it actually uh, leads me to Justin's final question. What is your opening day lineup prediction? And I'll just say, yeah, he'll have Mullins lead off, Adley second, Santander third, Mountcastle fourth. I'll say Gunner fifth. Now I got to look at who's left. Um, I'll say Austin Hayes sixth, Kyle Stauer seven, maybe Adam Frazier eighth, and Jorge Mateo ninth. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would vary from that at all. I don't. I don't know if they're going to start Stowers on opening day. I, with everything that I am, want them to start Stowers opening day. But I could see them not doing it um, and starting Urias and Fraser and Mateo, having one DH and have the other two in the field. Um, so I'm going to go that route, I guess, just to to be different and because. Um, as much as I like Hyde, I'm ready for him to disappoint me with his lineup decisions. Um, so I'm going to say Kowser, not Kowser. I'm going to say Mullins 1, Adley 2, Santander 3, Mountcastle 4. I'll switch it up and say Hayes 5 because he's healthy. And as much as he frustrated us last year in his second half, um, he still had a, um, was it a an OPS Plus over a hundred, so he's still yeah. above. Yeah, still above a league average hitter. They say even so, his first half was really on fire. So I, I think they still have faith in him, even if this, this is his last year to to prove it. Um, so I think they'll put him five, um, Gunner six, Urias seven, Frazier eight, Mateo nine. Yeah, I could see that as well. I mean. I would have Stowers in there every day, especially against lefties, but we know yeah. Brandon Hyde is sure to frustrate <laughs> hashtag Birdland a lot this year, as he did last year. Next yeah. question is to some some guy named Ben DeWurst. Uh, he says, how many innings from John Means this year? So answer your own question, Ben. Yeah, that's oh, – man. Um, I shouldn't have asked a question I was not prepared to answer. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with – 65 and i think that's light probably but i also know they're not gonna he's gonna need to work up from it you know it's not a lot of times people come back mid-season from tommy johns from what i feel like so um i think he probably comes middle of the year starts off at two to three inning stents and then just gets a handful of, of real starts in. But that's my conservative take. Okay. Yeah, I could see that because we, we really have no firm date as to when he's even going to start rehabbing, when he'll be back. So I said 75 innings. That would be like 15 five-inning starts. I feel like if he starts second half of the year, maybe they have him on a five-inning limit. I don't know. Blake Snellum, just make him a lefty that's a five-and-diver at least to – to finish out the year and then you can go into his final season under team control with hoping to get like 150, 160 innings out of him. Or yep. Maybe they'll just take the leash completely off since he's potentially not even, you know, on their team anymore after that. I wouldn't mind signing him to a short extension, but what, how about actually, how about, what do you think about that? What do you do with means here? I know he's, he signed a two year contract to avoid arbitration. So he's a free agent after the 2024 season. How would you handle yeah. that? I think there's a. I feel like there's not many guys I'm willing to give a long extension to, outside of 
Adley and Gunner. But there's a lot of guys I would be pleased with giving a short extension to, and I think Means is one of them. You know, I think of of our outfield, you know, I, I don't know if I'd give any of them a six-year to eight-year deal, but they also all hit free agency in a two-year span of each other, and I that's a tough ass to replace your entire outfield with with prospects at the same time. And, and the same thing with your rotation, you know, um, Grayson's young. Everyone really is not that experienced. I mean, Kramer and Bradish will have what three seasons, three full seasons under their belt by the time means hits free agency. That's, that's okay, I guess, but I would give him two years added on and, you know, it's not going to cost you a ton if you get it done soon, but it definitely gives you that safety net of having a major league starting pitcher. I think who, I mean, you have to, you really have to go into a season with eight starting pitchers, um, you know? And so it's, it's not like you need two or three and you really get to like hand pick which ones you want there. So if you have one in your organization, you know who he is, just give him a, a little bit longer leash while you figure out who you want here, like really long-term. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, John Means' work ethic, you know, the kind of guy he is and the worker he is. I feel like he's constantly criticizing himself as not being good enough. So he's got that one, too. I think if he comes back and shows that he's healthy, shows that he's completely regained his form and his stuff by the end of this season, maybe you say sign him to a three or four year extension that gets rid of that second year, like overrides the second year of his current deal that he's on and give him like a three year, $50 million contract, four year, $70 million contract. I don't know the numbers exactly, but a three or four year deal just to, just to keep him around till he's like in his, how old is he? Like he'd probably be what in his early to mid thirties. So I think that would be fair for all parties involved. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's just, um, he doesn't have to be your ace moving forward. You know, I mean, that's the hope with, with the guys that you have in Grayson and DL and maybe Bradish, maybe Cade Povich, you know, I mean, hopefully they, they acquire someone, but means means is a perfect number three. If he has his form, you know, that, I mean, a guy who can throw a dominant, no hitter as your number three, like homegrown dude, lovable player, sign me up. Um, And it's not going to be a contract that handicaps the team in any way um he turns 30 in uh, where was it he turns 30 this year and so he turns 30 in september it looks like okay yeah so i think that's he has he has mileage left on his arm yeah for sure for sure and he's like kind of a late bloomer i mean not as far as just pitching in general but when he really became like a full-on starter at the major league level so Hopefully, mm-hmm. I think he could easily get through his 34, 35-year season. So, mm-hmm. All right, next question is from Patrick Seaman. He would like to know, which current player do you identify with the most and why? The people need to know. You know that? <laughs> I can go first if you... Yeah, go for it. Let me, let me <laughs> ponder right. this a bit. <laughs> I'm thinking Ryan McKenna for myself. Just He just always seems so happy to be there. So, like, he takes his role as it is he knows he's just going to do what he has to do to be that fourth outfielder he's always ready to come in and pinch run pinch field again i keep using 
uh, words that don't exist to indicate defensive replacements. <laughs> but, um, it's been pitched yeah. field a lot. I like that. We need to yeah. mainstream yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, he, he's got a role and he just embraces it. And I feel like, you know, I'm just happy to be along for the ride on, on this podcast, be a part of On the Verge. So I'll say I relate to Ryan McKenna the most, although I kind of hope he doesn't even make the team. So I feel bad about that. <laughs> but uh, I feel like if you think Adam Frazier and Taron Vavra can handle, you know, corner outfield spots and you can put Hayes or Stowers in center in a pinch if you need to give Mullins a day off, then I feel like you have enough outfielders there that maybe you could get like a Jordan Westberg or, or another big uh, bopper bat in there instead. But I do like him. I do like McKenna. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, um, man, I don't, I don't know if I relate to anyone. I, uh, I was going to, I was going to look for the, the old veteran turning 32 this year. I'm feeling old whenever I look at the, the box scores and the ages of these guys, but the team's so young. So I guess I'll just go with, um, uh, Kyle Gibson because <laughs> sitting here and watching all the kids have a, have a blast showing off their talents and, uh, just glad to be able to, like you said, participate and, and have fun with it all too. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Is that some self hatred too? Because come on, man. <laughs> I mean, when you hear you're going to sign this big starter and you get a five point five ERA, but he's he's grown on me. I just yeah. just let's you know, let's get the ball in the rotation. <laughs> this front office will never do it easy. They want to make it difficult on themselves and and mm-hmm. uh, find the guy that why would you sign him? And then he's an all-star. So I think they like yeah. to have that kind of stuff under the belt. And Hey, if it works, I'll take it. Yeah. But uh, Addison would like to know who are the players with the biggest impact to their stat line from the new rule changes, uh, stolen bases on base box. I think Michael Givens is the answer to that. I was definitely going with Givens on the ball route. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, you know, I, I do think someone like Jorge Mateo, drastically benefits from these things and again will it be enough to keep a starting role we both don't think so but you never know and the thing is it helps him on defense because he has impeccable range given his speed and the fact that you're not shifting your players to where the numbers tell you the ball is going anymore he's you actually have to use that athleticism and that speed that just continues to set him apart defensively i think um he is more valuable when he's on first base than probably anyone else on the team so any increase to his own base percentage because of the change in the shift is only helping jorge mateo then you have the fact that we know he's not afraid to run he runs all the time and so the fact that it's becoming easier to run based off these rules again helps Jorge Mateo. So, you know, the answer may very well be someone like Mullins or Santander who, you, or Adley, you know. I mean, I know they put like five outfielders against Adley. Um, I'm excited to see how many hits he gets um, where they can't just over-analytic him away. Um but in terms of the actual skill set, I think it's Mateo. In terms of what we see on the stat line, it could be someone like Adley. And like you said, with yeah. Box, it's Givens. They said, what, he had one in his career, and then he's had like four in spring training. The, the guy <laughs> needs to adjust. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he's only pitched in like three or four games, I feel like. So 
yeah, yeah. definitely bulks for Givens. But uh, Jorge Mateo is as good as guess as any because, like you said, banning the shift, you need that versatility, that range. At shortstop, he can provide you that easily. He can do the steals. I think maybe a Taron Vavra, Adam Frazier type player is underrated as far as because they can just – they know how to find the gaps between first and second, between short and third, right over the shortstop's head, that kind of stuff. So you can't really – they're unshiftable in a way, mm-hmm. kind of. So I'll throw those guys into the mix as well. Yeah, makes sense. And next question is from Charles Robertson, who are a few non-Oriole top 100 prospects that you are most excited to see debut in 2023? Yeah, I I have no idea. I, I'm just going off the guys on my uh, Dynasty Baseball League, um, Yuri Perez, I picked up because I read something about him when we were doing our draft. So I'm going to go with him. He's a young pitcher. Um, you know, he could really, I mean, I know the conversation right now is painter slash Grayson with Yuri kind of as that third guy, but the dude um, was, I think the youngest pitcher in double a and was, you know, sitting them down with, with ease. So I think he could, um, definitely be a pitcher that takes the league by storm when he makes his way up and he'll be there for a long time, hopefully because he's a young dude. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good choice. I will, um, I'll cheat a little bit and I'll say one option is Kodai Senga for the Mets. I I really want to see how his pitches play at the major league level. Uh, also kind of want to see Ricky Tiedemann for the blue Jays. I think he's uh, unfortunately a really talented heart throwing lefty. And also I'll say Sal Frelick for the Brewers because I feel like he was kind of rumored to go to the O's potentially instead of Kowser in that overslot thing. So I, I want to compare those those two's career for at least the first couple of years when they're in the majors just to to see who got the the better end of that. I think the Orioles did, but we shall see. Yeah, makes sense. And let's see. Vivek Shukla has a question. What's one team you are higher on the most? entering into the 2023 season, one team you are lower on than most. I'm going to go the Reds for the team I'm higher on. I think um, I remember last year just being very excited to see if they could lose 130 games. Um, You know, I just, I guess all the pain the Orioles have given us the last few years, I wanted to see it on another fan base, I suppose. Um, But, you know, they, they, after a really like, historically bad level start, they, they kind of came into their own. And I think MLB Pipeline just said they had the fifth best farm in baseball. I know they have a lot of those guys are major league ready or close. I think I saw Hunter Green is their opening day starter, so they're going to give him every opportunity. Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of fans um, have a lag with how they view teams from going from bad to good. People still out there laughing at the Orioles when why um and so I think that the Reds are kind of in that position this year to you know to finish close to 500 maybe even they don't have a tough division you know I mean you play the Pirates you play all the all those central teams I, I think they'll do well and um lower than on most maybe this is not the case for Birdland but I think for fans in general I'm going to say the Red Sox I don't think they're very good I think everyone talked about how good their offseason was and their offseason was adding maybe two players that are good and losing four or five. So I don't know how a last place team that got worse 
is a team that people think are going to be good. And it seems like every other year they go from World Series to last. So I'll probably be eating these words, but I just don't. <laughs> nothing on their team scares me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have some similar answers to you, but I, I do like that Reds answer because I even saw Ener Saris saying today that he really likes the Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcroft top three young guys in the rotation. So, and they made some really good trades at the deadline. I know their owner sucks and they don't put money out onto the team, but they did make some good trades. So, you know, they're unfortunately probably going to be decent again pretty soon. So, um, I will say along the same lines as kind of the Reds, I'll say the Pirates. I think uh, I really like what they're doing with their prospects, their their farm system. I think Ben Charrington has done a good job with them. You know, I, O'Neill Cruz is exciting. If he can hit the ball consistently and not strike out 30% of the time, I think he'll be a special player. Really like some of their pitching prospects between Luis Ortiz and, and uh, Ronzi Contreras. So, and Mitch Keller's still there. So I, I think they're a little bit underrated in the same vein. Like they could turn it around. They still have Brian Reynolds. He wants out, but he's still there for now. And then for overrated, I will say Texas Rangers. I think, again, you know, a lot was made of the offseason they had this past year and the year before. I just still don't see them being any more than third place at best in the AL West. And I feel like they're trying to do a rush job on their rebuild. And, you know, hopefully just for the sake of their fans and, and it's fun that the front office went out and made some moves, spent some money. Hopefully it works, but I, I'm just not sold on it yet. I don't think that lineup is quite good enough. And Jacob DeGrom, he'll probably last, what, three, four starts before he gets hurt? Yeah, unfortunately. And then we will transition to the Red Sox that you talked about with David Adams, our last patron question. Can we get a Boston series preview? So, yeah, I think it's going to be what? Um, it's Corey Kluber, Chris Sale, and maybe Tanner Houck or – Nick Pavetta or Cutter Crawford going game three. Mm-hmm. That's their rotation at the moment versus we know Gibson, Kramer are the first two for the Orioles. I'm, I'm assuming Irvin is going to go third because Bradish has struggled in Fenway in his couple appearances there. So what do you think? Yeah, that would be my guess too. I'm going to say the Orioles have the upper hand on the pitching matchup all three games. Um, I'm going to give the Orioles two of three. I'm going to say... Orioles win on opening day, and they take this uh, series finale. But I'm going to say the Red Sox, uh, um, I'm going to say Creamer maybe comes out uh, looking good, but that the bats maybe are a little flat for the second game, and the uh, Red Sox eke out a little in game two. But I think um, I think we win two of three, um, and I don't think they're going to be particularly close the games we win. So that's, uh, that's my feeling. I think we're going to see... Two home runs this series from Adley. That's going to be my prediction. Oh, yeah. Show off that new right-handed swing against lefties. Yeah. Hit one over the, <laughs> the big monster in left field. I think we'll take two or three as well. I think we'll win the first two games, and then we'll put out that Sunday punt lineup and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that Twitter likes to talk about so much, uh, and they lose a close game on Sunday to start the season two and one. I'll just go through what uh, Rasta Resources has as their, their lineup to start the season. They have Alex Verdugo in right. Rafael Devers, newly extended at third base. Justin Turner at DH. Masataka Yoshida at left field. Adam Duvall starting in center field and batting fifth. That, to me, is like as big of an indictment on their uh, season as anything. Uh, Tristan Casas, first base, sixth. Christian Arroyo at second base. Reese McGuire, catcher, and Kiki Hernandez starting shortstop. To me, that's like you got one really good player, a couple solid guys, and 
I, I don't know what the Red Sox are doing. <laughs> yeah, and the pitching ro- pitching rotation shouldn't scare anyone. You have, yeah, I mean, you have you have serviceable starting pitchers and no one that's frightening. I mean, Chris Sale's the name that maybe is frightening, but he's thrown about a combined 50 innings over the last three years. It's 34, 35 now. It's, it's, there are some pitchers who defy the odds, and he has the talent to do so, but it, I feel like you're looking at like a three or four starting pitcher with him, not, not something that you're used to seeing with his name. And I don't think... They are not games I go into expecting bad results for the Orioles like I have in the past. And like I might against the Yankees sometimes still, but even that's not as intimidating as it used to be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they do have a couple other good starting pitchers, at least potentially, that are injured right now. Garrett Whitlock and Brian Bayo are starting the year on the IL. James Paxton, what do you know? He's hurt again. But, um, you know, they're just not intimidating in the least, so. Hopefully we stop the Red Sox all year, all year long. The only thing is we'll have, what, three or four less games to do so with, uh, with the new evened out schedule. Yep. All right, so now we have a couple Twitter questions to get into. Hopefully in the weeks going forward, you guys on Twitter can help us out when we put out the, the tweet asking for questions. Well, we got a few here. We got one from Baguettinator, pretty good uh, handle there. If Andrew Politti doesn't make the 26th man, who gets added to the 40 man in his place? So that's tough because we already are going to have two 40-man spots when they decide to move John Means and Seth Johnson to the 60-day IL. Um, so we're not really in a crunch on the 40-man roster. Um, to me, the 40-man roster will be filled by um, random bullpen arm they decide to bring up to help, random... Um, back up in case of an injury they decide to help i think i don't think all 40 are going to be billed right off the bat in terms of who do i think benefits in terms of if he does not make the roster i think that's mike bauman i think that if Politi doesn't make it it's because they want bauman in the pen i mean it could be creeble as well um but he's already on i guess bauman's on the roster too but i, I guess to me, it's he, Bauman is the one to gain the most by it because they they like something about him and they're trying him out of this new role. Um, so it's it's not a question I know how to answer in terms of the forty because I don't think it's going to get filled. But realistically, maybe they'll put one of those three backup first baseman options on to keep him from opting out. Maybe it'll be. Um, a random relief pitcher who they just want to eat 10 innings and then Dylan Tate comes back. You know, it, I don't think they'll be filled completely the spots, but I would say Bauman would benefit and maybe it'll be like a Cordera or an O'Hearn if they actually fill the 40 man spot. Yeah. I mean, I would guess if I'm getting specific as far as who's going to take that 40 man spot, I'd say probably a waiver claim or like a, you know, just someone that they find interesting that they can kind of cycle through how they like to use that last spot or two on the 40 man, just kind of get guys into the system, try to pass them through waivers again themselves, something like that. But I kind of think Politi is going to make it at this point. I know I was listening back to our prediction show from before spring training to get ready for the, our next prediction show coming out on Monday with Connor Newcomb. And 
and we each gave him like five, 10% chance to make it. I'd say it's like 50, 60% chance to make it now just because other than one outing, he's been super impressive. You got the Dylan Tate injury and, you know, is Brian Baker going to make it? Seems like he's a lock, but who knows if D.L. Hall is going to make it. And I feel like you can start Bauman reasonably in AAA to say, hey, you're officially a short one-inning reliever. Just go let it eat and get used to that. And then you can wait until Tate's healthy or Bauman's like ready to come up and really just take over as a back-end reliever to give Politi a chance. I don't know if he's going to make it the whole year, but I feel like he's going to be on the starting uh, starting staff. Yeah, I, I think they give him a month, too. I am um, with Tate injured and uh, concerns over maybe Bautista, maybe Givens. Like, I think they both make the opening day roster as well, but I was talking to someone online about it, and really, if if you choose Bauman to win that battle, Politi is a Red Sox. If you choose Politi to win that battle, Bauman's still an Oriole. You know, you don't lose an option by making Politi make the opening day roster. You do lose an option if he doesn't. So I think they they start. They're like, look, it's a crowded bullpen, but we're giving you a month until Tate comes back. You're going to get six appearances in, maybe seven or eight, who knows. And that'll tell us more on if. And if there's another injury, then you stay. Or if you're just dominant, then you stay. But it doesn't hurt for someone who's looked very serviceable in spring training to, to fill Tate's spot for a month. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Uh, next question is from at David Pret. Given how Daz Cameron has hit the last week or so, can he make the major league roster at some point this year? Yes, but it takes hurt injuries and luck and timing. And yes, anyone in triple A on this team can because Elias is not going to rush Kowser's plan if Hayes gets hurt. You know, that's not going to determine when Kowser comes up. And Haskins could probably use some some at-bats in AAA as well. So if, if Hayes gets hurt and they've moved on from McKenna, maybe he doesn't make the opening day roster, then they're like, look, we need a body to be able to put out there once a week. And he's looked good. He's a former top prospect, played well in spring, and he has some major league experience. We can put him on the 40 and not feel bad about DFAing him when someone's healthy. Sure. Do I think he will? No. Do I hope he will? No, because I think it means something went wrong. But yes, it's possible. Yeah, exactly. And I made the case that maybe after spring, they might like Cameron better than McKenna and just give him that fourth outfield spot. I don't necessarily know he's done enough to do that. But, yeah, like you said, if there's an injury, especially early in the season before, you know, Kowser's necessarily deemed ready by Elias, like you said, they're not going to rush anyone. When it's a top prospect, they're going to do right by the team and him long term by making sure he's ready. So, yeah, if a Hayes or McKenna, Stowers, someone like that gets hurt, and especially if we got those open 40-man roster spots we were talking about last question or so, then... Yeah, I mean, he could easily come up for a cup of coffee, and I think you could do worse. But, yeah, it's not ideal if he's in uh, on the team and especially in the starting lineup with any regularity. Something's definitely gone wrong. Yep. Next we have at Big Matty Mac, who said, Nice, Orioles status one is one of my favorite Orioles tweeters. Ask him how he survives <laughs> the ups and downs of being so reactionary and jumping to conclusions on players' players so quickly i'm the same way it's part of why he's my fave 
Yeah, I um, I want to say I want to be both offended and grateful for that comment because <laughs> you put me on a roller coaster there, Matt. Um, I I think uh, from my perspective, it's like sometimes you need to <laughs> grieve a decision, so to speak. You know, I uh, I was very annoyed at the Jorge um, Lopez trade when it happened, and then two weeks later, I'm like, well, that makes sense. You know, so. I think it's uh, letting yourself be a fan um, and letting yourself just ride the waves of emotion and still recognizing that after a few minutes or a day or two, you you feel fine about it. And that's that's the life of a sports fan. That's the life of a baseball fan. I, uh, I'm glad you relate. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like even I who, well, first of all, Austin Voth is like the prime example of your roller coaster because yeah. i mean I, well, i'm not gonna lie when we claimed him i'm like what the hell but you know i just kept it under my hat <laughs> and that i'd say that's the only thing i'm better at is <laughs> just being able to say hold on let's take a second and see how it happens you know i, I immediately try to to like catch myself because I'm, I'm a fan too we we cover this team this organization but you know we're not just these analytical robots that can separate fandom from uh talking about it hopefully we do enough to be you know at least somewhat objective but it's uh yeah i'm i'm right there during the games i'm getting pissed off when someone comes brian baker comes in and blows the game but uh yeah i mean awesome both now he's like a, a lock for this <laughs> roster right and there and there's a difference too between like like getting annoyed about a move and and complaining about a move versus like full-on meltdowns like we unfortunately see by you know parts of the fandom at times and it's it's uh it's totally i think normal to be emotional about this team or else you know how what do you get out of it but um just a matter of then how how you uh bounce back so to speak yes yes absolutely and uh no bots will be mentioned on this on this <laughs> podcast. Um, got a couple more here. At Gryffindor15 would like to know, where does Kobe Mayo top out at the Orioles' top 30 at midseason and end of season? And also, how about on top 100s as well? Yeah, I, I thought this was a great question. And it, to me, it's a lot easier to predict where he'll be at the end of the season because – well, first of all, it really depends on what list. You know, I, I put together seven different outlets, and it's like two of them have Kerstad ahead of him, and four of them have him ahead of Kerstad. So you're like, is Kerstad ahead of him? Who knows? Um, but to me, like, the guys that you know are ahead of him right now consistently are Gunner, Grayson, Jackson Holiday, um, most places would say Colton Kowser, though there's those two outliers. Um, but when you look at the guys ahead of him, they're all going to graduate except for Jackson Holiday. So I I think Kobe's going to mash this year. I think, and I think mashing as a young kid in Double A puts you on notice for everyone. Um, so I think he's going to really cement his way up the lists that haven't been paying attention to him. Um, I think Jackson Holiday is going to be ahead of him at the end of the season in terms of 
a prospect rankings across the board. Other than that, I mean, who who's in conversation that won't have graduated by the end of the season? Maybe Povich, maybe Kerstad. I think Kobe's probably ahead of both of them. I don't think we're drafting high enough to draft a guy who will go ahead of him. So end of season, I'm going to say two. Top 100 list areas, I'm going to put him in the, between 40 and 60. Um, where I would put him on the top 100 list, probably. That's just arbitrary. I don't I don't know enough about the other organizations. Mid-season, um, I think his stock is going up. I don't think everyone ahead of him is going to have graduated then. I don't think Ortiz or Norby will have graduated. Um, Westberg, we hope. Kowser, we hope, but maybe not. Um, so maybe mid-season, I'd put him busting into these top 100 lists in the 70 to 80 range, and maybe fourth or fifth in our organization. So those are my guesses. Yeah, I think that's solid guesses for sure. I personally have him number six right now in my own behind Gunnar Henderson, who will graduate, Grayson Rodriguez, who will graduate, Jackson Holiday, Dio Hall, who will graduate, and Colton Kowser, who will probably graduate by the end of the year, maybe not midseason. So, yeah, I'll say he's fighting for second or third by midseason, and I'm really bullish on Mayo this year. I really think he's going to come out, and he's still so young, and he's starting at double A. I think he could be the Gunnar Henderson of last year for this year. I, I think he's going to be fighting for Jackson Holiday for that number one spot by the end of the season. I uh, wouldn't be shocked if he made his major league debut in September this year. I think he could – I'll be just going along. i say a top 25 prospect in baseball heading into 2024. Yeah, And, you know, nice. depending on how much he mashes and how much he can prove that – his defense is good enough to stick at their base long-term, then I think he could be a top 10 prospect in baseball. But, you know, it's first he's got to go out and do it, but I do believe he's capable and will honestly do that. So, yeah, yeah. I think we're both very high on Kirby Mayo. has nothing to do with uh, his dad being a patron. <laughs> I don't get any money from that, so no sway for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I save last potentially to be the best. It's from the Baltimore Banners, Andy Casca. He would like to know, uh, last week's guest, by the way, or this week's guest, does Grayson Rodriguez's last three starts give enough reason for him to begin in AAA? For me, no, because he did not come into the spring, in my opinion, with anything to prove other than that he can be healthy and he can be comfortable. He was in his last inning, maybe, before his Major League debut when he got hurt. They do not, I, to me, in terms of the club, he has graduated AAA, is how I think they view him. And I've never heard the club talk about a prospect like they talk about him, where they enter spring saying, we hope he makes the rotation. You know? They they didn't say that about Kramer and Bradish after having really good major league seasons last year. They want they want Grayson in the rotation. Um, Tyler Wells didn't have a spring. He would have been his strongest competitor, I think. I think that they want to get draft picks if Grayson um, does what he is capable of doing. No, I Grayson threw 73 pitches and then went in the pen to throw more pitches. You know, he, they are getting him ready for a full major league season, in my opinion. Um, so, yes, could they use it as an excuse if they wanted to? Sure. But will they? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page again. Um, you know, I really think if this was pre-draft pick for Rookie of the Year, 
you're finding an excuse to keep him down for three weeks, to keep him under team control for that extra year. But with Gunner being probably the favorite to win Rookie of the Year and Grayson probably going to be right in the running with him, why not have two shots at that? Because we know how much they value the extra draft pick. And, yeah, I think they know the upside. We all know the upside that Grayson brings. And, yeah, he's had some rough outings here in spring training, but why not work out these kinks now? And the stuff is clearly just so good. He can play and let him figure it out at the major league level. If he struggles kind of like Kyle Bradish did last year in the beginning of the year, that's fine. You know, this is not his whole career doesn't hinge on how the first month or two of the season goes. And I think he's he's a guy that's going to build momentum as the season goes on. And I bet you he's having dominant starts, you know, as long as he has enough innings to pitch all the way through the end of the year, which I'm sure they will find a way to manage that. Uh, that's above my pay grade, but I think he's people will be worried in the beginning of the year and not worried by the end of the year. But I can yep. see the argument for, you know, if you, if they were looking for an excuse, he's given them one. But I just I don't think they're looking. Yeah, that's how I feel too. So yeah, all right. This was uh, a good good debut episode for our major league mailbag. Thanks, Ben, for coming on. I've been wanting yep, thanks to for having talk to you in person for quite some time, and uh, you killed it. So yeah, thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Thanks right. so much, Bob. All right. And uh, he's at Oriole Status One. If you're not following him, as I'm sure you are, he's going to tweet out those mini milestones after every game and can't wait till we're actually playing baseball and can see those tweets every morning. So, as for me, I'm Bob Fallon. My guest, Ben DeWurst, either Zach or Nick, we'll be back with you next week for Major League Mailbag number two play ball. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. Ensure odds with three A's. Let go of your insurance frustrations. Visit AAA.com slash insurance for a quote on auto and home. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.